0: job, guys. All right, well, welcome. My name is Nathan Oates. This is Emmaus Church Community. You're in the right place. Glad you joined us. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. We'll hand one out to you. We're going to be in James in a minute. A little book called James. Also, if you're, well, let me say this first of all about that song. Th- this is why we're here. This is why, this is the value of a rhythm. Of worship. This is why this happens every seven days. If worship becomes an event for us, then, then um, you know, it's about the feeling and the experience, and it's not all bad. That's fine. But when worship becomes a rhythm for us, then it is a centering experience. It is something that orients us as to who we are and why we're here and what this life is about. It becomes something that kind of be- is a grounding Experience like the family dinner, stuff's falling apart, frayed. We're not talking very well anymore. Let's have a dinner together. That's kind of the spirit behind the regularity of Christian worship. From the beginning, it's been a weekly experience at a minimum, because we want it to be something that is centering, that is that establishes core truths about who we are and who God is and how we interact uh, with Him. And so the 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 invitation to regular worship, to worship as part of my life, to worship at the beginning of the new week, is such a powerful thing to embrace as a lifestyle. Um, and and I'm, I'm grateful that even though we're in a culture where very, very few things really happen regularly anymore, that there's still a, um, some value and some energy and a lot of commitment being placed in making this, uh, this kind of regular worship thing happen. And so welcome to the rhythm of Christian worship today. And may you be encouraged and challenged and comforted by the presence of God this morning. Amen. If you're on the aisle and there's a basket underneath your seat, would you pass it down? And and there's cards in these baskets. And if you'd like to fill one out with a prayer request or maybe you're new and you'd like to hand off an email address, you can do that. Uh, We will not swamp you. We send out one email a week with... um, the, like a, the three things coming up this week at Emmaus. So it can be a real helpful way to stay in touch if you'd like to pass that on. We'll collect the, the cards in a little bit. All right. And if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with the sermon this morning in the Bible, it will be in the book of James. And if you took a Bible that was handed out, it's on page 847. It can be hard to find. It's a small little letter uh, towards the end of the Bible. 847. All right. Here's what I'd like to do to start with. I'd like to ask you a question. When do you ask God for help? Every day. Every day. Good. That's good, Mark. Is it, at the, is it at the beginning? Is it the first thing? Or is it like the last resort? All right. Good. Good. We're just going to have a conversation. I thought those were rhetorical questions. You guys are serious about this. All right, good. Good. Is it the very beginning or is it at the end? This is the essential question I want to ask this morning. When do we ask God for help? Uh, I've become totally encouraged. I feel like I almost have a friendship with a monk who lived in the 6th century uh, through the book that he wrote. His name is Benedict, and he writes this in the prologue to his book. He says, first of all. First of all, when somebody says first of all, you pay attention to that, right? Almost like lastly. It's better. First of all, every time you begin a good work, Benedict writes, he's talking to the monks in his monastery. He says, you must pray to him most earnestly to bring it to perfection. By bring it to perfection, Benedict means you must pray to God to lead you through it, to guide you into this good work and through this good work, to provide for you, to direct you, to provide the insight that you need so that you can complete the good work or complete the project or complete the conversation or deal with the issue or the trial or the difficult task or the wonderful opportunity, whatever it is, whatever it is, Benedict says, begin by praying to God that he will bring it to perfection. What does that mean? Essentially, that he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish through this experience. Big or small, that he will accomplish what he wants accomplished through you in this experience. This is a discipline, a relatively new discipline that I've embraced in the last couple of years. I use doors as catalysts for this spiritual discipline. There's doors everywhere. This is a great reminder. Attach something to a door. So when I hit a door, I use this. I don't do it every time, but I want to get to a place where every time I'm doing this. I do do it often. I get to a door, and I pray this prayer as I open the door. God, please accomplish what you want to in me in this experience. Right? Typically, When I don't do it, it's because I'm thinking about what's beyond the door. What I want to do instead is I want to hit that door and go, there's something in this. There's meaning here. There's a purpose here. It might be my office, some place I go almost every day. It might be my house. I'm thinking about the roles there that I play. It might be a cafe where I'm meeting somebody. It might be somebody else's house, and I've been called because there's really intense conflict, and they need help resolving it. It might be a hospital door where I know there's grieving inside, or there's a need for healing inside. There's all kinds of doors, right? There's all kinds of things beyond doors. And so I just all I've done is I've just used the door as a catalyst, as a reminder to, to begin... By asking for God's help. Often when I know I'm like slipping, tired, too much is going on, distracted, I'll get back in my truck and I'll go, oh man, P- please bless that mess. Because that, that was crazy. Uh, when, and that was after. And that's okay. That's an okay prayer. God blesses messes post mess. That's good. But what I want to do more is I want to begin with a prayer asking God for help, More and more, I want to be the guy who's praying as he walks in, at the very beginning, and not as I walk out at the very end as a last resort. Okay, So, we're going to look at um, James, the brother of Jesus today. We're jumping into the book that he wrote, the letter that he wrote, actually. And it's a series that's focused on making the spiritual more practical. Okay, Making the spiritual more practical. Last Sunday was Easter. We looked at the doctrine and the story of the resurrection through the lens of Jesus' brother, James. James is mentioned about six times in the Bible, and I listed them basically on the front page of your notes. The first two times, James is listed. He's with his brothers, and they, what's surprising is they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They think Jesus is out of his mind. The third time James is mentioned, it's about now. It's a few days after Easter, the day of the resurrection. And surprisingly, now James is united with the Christian church, praying for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Something happened. Because a little while ago, he wasn't following Jesus, and now he is seeking Jesus. And then the next time we hear about him, he's the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. right? So we're given only this one clue as to how this change happened. Clearly a change happened. And, and um, he has moved from an unbeliever in Jesus Christ to the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And the clue is five little words in one of Paul's letters to a church in a place called Corinth, where Paul is relaying the story of how the risen Jesus, in other words, Jesus dies on Friday, he, Good Friday, he, he comes back to life on Sunday, and then he inhabits an actual physical human body, his own body, and appears to a bunch of people over a period of 40 days. So as Paul talks about these appearances of Jesus in an actual body, he demonstrates this. He eats fish, things like this. Uh, People touch him, right? He, Paul, Paul relates this, he appears to James. These five little words in one of his letters. And then he appeared to James. And that encounter between Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and his little brother, it changes everything, because that's what resurrection does. Resurrection changes everything, and it changes everything for James. And then about 30 years later, James writes a letter. It's the first of what's called the Catholic epistles or the general epistles. There are seven letters that are written to the whole Christian community, right? They're like open. We, today we call them open letters, an open letter to the United States, right? So it's an open letter to Christians all over the world, and here's how it begins. James chapter 1, verse One, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, why would I do that? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Three quick comments about the context of this letter, the third is the most important. The third is the most important. First, do you see how James refers to himself? This is fascinating to me. James refers to himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you introduce yourself, typically... 1st century or 21st century, it doesn't matter. Typically when you introduce yourself, you drop your position, you mention your education, your expertise, your qualifications, who you're linked to that's important. If you're writing a letter that you expect everybody to read, you're going to kind of explain why you're worth listening to at the beginning. Paul refers to James as the brother of the Lord. A guy named Chrysostom, a couple generations later, refers to James as the brother of of God. Isn't that awesome? He's the brother of God. But what does he say? James, a servant of the Lord Jesus. He's your brother. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remarkable humility to me. Remarkable humility. Remarkable um, when compared to other people writing in the first century. Remarkable compared to people writing in the 21st century. Unremarkable when compared to anybody else who was a disciple of Jesus. They all do this. Especially the, the, the 12. Jesus' closest followers. They all consider being a servant of Jesus as the most important thing. Don't call me any, just call me a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Super powerful. Second, James is writing to Christians with a Jewish background who were scattered all over the world. That's the 12 tribes reference. There's 12 Jewish tribes. Um, James is writing to people from Jewish background who have embraced Jesus as their king, as their Messiah. But now they're scattered all over the world because the persecution against the Christian church really began to turn up in 44 AD when the first of the 12 apostles was killed. Another guy named James. And, And that's like, oh my gosh. We're not, we're, this is the twelve are not untouchable, and so the church begins to scatter all over the world. And God restores that and redeems it, and the and the, the faith spreads all over the world. But that's who He's writing to. And then third, here's the most important. So James is put this together. James is writing to Christians who are experiencing hard times. James is writing to Christians who are experiencing trials or even temptations. In fact, the word that James uses here. If we were to see it in the original language, which is Greek, the word that is translated trials is the same word that's translated temptations. It is the same word that shows up in when Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation. It's the same word here. It's the same word that when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The same word as trials here. The same word that um, Luke uses in Luke 4 when he says the devil had finished all this tempting Of Jesus in the desert. We're going to do a whole sermon in a couple of weeks on defeating temptation because it's a huge issue and it's a major theme in James. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Here is a letter from James to Christians all over the world who are experiencing hard times, trials, tests of their faith, and temptations. Why does that matter? Because that's us too. That's them and that's us. Trials are different. Tests are different. Everybody's got their own thing. Different temptations, different times in different places. But this is an open letter to the church. James is writing this letter to you. James is writing this letter to me. Anybody who is a follower of Jesus and is experiencing hard times, this is a letter to you. Are you experiencing a hard time? Is your family experiencing a hard time? Can you identify a challenge Is there a place in your life where you feel like, man, I just don't have the ability or the capacity or the knowledge. I don't have the, I don't have what it, I'm not sure I have what it takes. I'm being challenged with something. Is there a temptation that you're facing? Is there a trial? Is there something that's really testing your faith right now? If so, this letter is written to you. And this is what he says. There's a hard thing going on in your life. This is what he says to you. This is the very first thing he says. Back to James' letter. I think this is verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. If you lack wisdom... You lack wisdom. You should ask God. Implication for wisdom. He gives generously. He gives generously. Do you know anybody who gives generously? That means more than you needed. He gives generously to all. Oh, not me. I totally screwed that up. He's going to let me sit. Without finding fault. Isn't that amazing? He gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. That's the promise. Here's the condition. There's always a condition. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. You must believe and not doubt. You must believe. Believe and not doubt. Why? Why? Well, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed around. That person, what's the problem with that? Well, here's the problem. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Really? That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So we'll get to this. Here's what James asks us to do. Here's what James instructs us to do. To ask God. And to ask God who gives generously. And to ask God believing. Maybe this is a helpful image to you. I think a really good image, whenever you're trying to relate to God, is that of a good father and I know that's a challenging image for a lot of us but that's the best image the the image of a good parent Um, if you have one you're blessed because that's an easy association to draw I was um, I was at a baseball game sitting next to my dad which is the first time that's happened in like 10 years because I've always coached Isaiah's team so I'm always in the dugout my dad's always in the stands but I'm not I'm coaching Matthias's team this year and so Isaiah's on the field, and I'm in the stands next to my dad. And we had this chat. It was fantastic. We're just talking, kind of like following along. And the conversation leads to an issue. And my dad says, well, what are you going to do about that? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. I, have no, I don't know what I should do. He goes, well, what about this? Have you considered this? I think this could work. And he just gave me some wisdom. He just gave me some advice. And I left the game with the issue settled. Confident of the way I was going to go forward. I knew what I was going to do. Right? I took that advice and I thought, this, now this brings clarity. Now this brings confidence. If I would have heard my dad's advice with kind of this skeptical, oh, wait and see, the old man has anything good to say, you know, then I would not have left with any sense of confidence or clarity. I would have, I would have left in that position of judging the validity of the advice, right? And and here's what would have really negated the value or the benefit of having received wisdom from my dad, if I would have doubted, if I would have doubted his character, or if I would have doubted his care for me, Oh, he's trying to get around. No. If I would have doubted, it would have just, there would have been no benefit. And that's specifically what James speaks about, against. James speaks against doubting God. Don't doubt God. Why does he not want us to... Doubt is not always bad. Doubt is not always bad. But James doesn't want us to doubt in this situation. And here's why. Because it's rooted in pride. You doubt... If you ask God for wisdom... And you doubt him. That is, that is pride being expressed. If I need help and I ask for help, but then I doubt the advice that is given, I doubt the counsel, it's because I don't think that person really knows any more than I do. Right? Maybe I know better than that person does. And there are, sometimes I get advice from people, and yeah, I, I know better than they do. But I don't know better than God. God knows better than I do about everything. And so whereas there may be some wisdom in like, well, I don't know, I'll probably talk to three financial advisors, or I'll talk to three people about how to parent, or I'll talk to three people about a health issue. But there's no benefit in doubting God when you ask God for wisdom because God knows better than you do and knows better than I do. So if I ask God for wisdom and then I doubt the direction that is given, I am like a wave being tossed around. So the first helpful image potentially is the image of a good father. Second helpful image potentially for this sermon today is the image of a a wave just being tossed around. What's the problem with this? Well, I'm double-minded is what James says. In other words, part of me wants God to be in charge and part of me wants to be in charge. That's double-minded. That's like Gollum. Is that his name? No. What's his name? It's Gollum. Yeah. That's like Double-minded, like who's who is he gonna listen to? Who's in charge? I'm double-minded, right? And and James just names it. You're unstable in all you do. Congratulations, you're unstable. Because you don't even know who's in charge. You don't even know whose advice you're gonna listen to, yours or God's. You need to settle that first when you ask God for wisdom. Okay? Because you are what you're doing is you're you're basically signing up to then receiving. And acting upon the wisdom that is given from God. So when Christians face hard times, when Christians face trials and temptations, James tells us to ask God for wisdom like we would ask for counsel or help from a good father. James knows God well. He knows the character of God has been revealed to him through Jesus Christ. James knows That God will give generously without finding fault. That means the wisdom is a gift. That means that you don't earn it, it's given to you. That means that what you have done, all your mistakes, have not disqualified you from receiving this gift. Because it's a gift! So God gives you this gift of wisdom. So then when we ask for it, James says, man, don't doubt. Because when you doubt, that shows a lack of confidence in the character of God, it shows a lack of resolve about really what you're going to do with this advice in the first place. It really shows a lack of stability. You don't even know who's in charge of your life, All right, right. let me end with two questions, and I hope this will be very helpful in bringing this to a very practical, lived-out level. Here's a series of questions, two main ones. Why don't, and I just asked myself these questions this week, why don't I go to God for wisdom first? Why don't, and I'm assuming that you don't, or at least you don't all the time. I don't. Why don't I go to, wisdom, go to God for wisdom first? Is it because I believe that he doesn't really know what I need? Is that why? I don't really, kn- I don't really believe that he knows. Or... Is it because I don't really believe that he cares about my trial, about my hard thing, about my temptation, about this amazing opportunity? I don't believe that he cares about it. Is it because I don't think he's willing to share his insights with me? Like somehow... He's stingy, doesn't want the best for me. Got to lean into this. They sound silly, and yet that's why, this is why. This is why we don't. It's one of these things. Maybe some, it's something different for all of us, probably. It's probably something different for all of us. In other words, does the problem have to do with my view of God? Is that why I don't go to him for wisdom? Does it have to do with my view of God? with my understanding of his character. That's one big category. Maybe my problem is my understanding of what God is like. The other option is maybe the problem is with me. Maybe I'm the problem. In other words, I don't really think I could hear him. I have he- I don't know what that means. I don't know what that feels like. How do you get direction from God? That seems so s- Weird. Or is it because I'm not sure I want his guidance? (laughs) Like if he tells me what to do, oh, shoot, I'm not sure I want that, right? That's a real reason. I talk to people all the time. That's me sometimes. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh, you want to get real? Do you want me to go talk to that person right now? Oh, don't say yes. Or maybe, maybe it's just this. Maybe I just don't remember to ask him. I think this is probably really common. And I think it's so tragic. I think it's so tragic. It's like we've embraced this anemic, neutered spirituality. We've taken the relationship out of the relationship with God. I just didn't even think about asking God about that. What? Why not? That's the whole, gosh, isn't that it? Isn't it a relationship? Doesn't it make sense that you'd ask God for help, for direction? I just didn't even think about it. And I'm I'm looking in the mirror. I I didn't even pray about that. I didn't even ask God for direction about that. My goodness, what an anemic view of Christianity I've embraced. I've just neutered the whole faith. I've made it this religion with no relationship. What a mess. Maybe, Maybe once in a while I'll ask God for help you know, when it's a really bad thing or a really hard thing. But it's always kind of frustrating when I do because then I don't really know what to do with that. And it's not part of my normal faith experience. So it feels weird. Why don't I go to God first? That's the big question. And I think it's really worth trying to figure it out. Why don't I go to God first? I hope you'll lean into that. And then the second question, how can I grow in this practical spiritual practice of asking God for wisdom and receiving it, okay? How can I do that? Three quick practices that I offer to you uh, from experience. Three practical things you can do. One, clarify your question. Identify your question. Clarify your question. Too often, I just pray, God, help me. And, and I think that's a good prayer. I know it's a biblical prayer, I've been shaped by the God have mercy prayer deeply. It has shaped my posture before God. It's made me more humble. But it has not helped me discern the direction of God. Because God help me is not specific enough to get direction and specific discernment. I need to get, I need, it's not a problem with God. He knows what I mean. It's a problem with me. I don't know what I mean by that. I need to specifically clarify my question. What am I, what am I actually asking? What am I, so you know what, I write it down, because nothing brings clarity like writing it down. Keep a journal, put a chalkboard up in your house, whatever works for you, but write it down. Is it about this that I'm really asking God for help, or is it actually about this? What, What am I, try to clarify the question. I need help with this situation. It's this specific temptation My faith is faltering on this issue right here. Try to be as specific as you can. Secondly, commit time to listening. We're easier, we we have an easier time with asking God for help, and we have a harder time with actually committing time to listen. Friends, listen. We're talking about spiritual discernment. Talking about spiritual discernment. That's hard. This is not like sitting next to your dad at a baseball game. This is harder than that. However, Christians from the beginning of the faith, who have experienced hard times, trials, temptations, have needed God's wisdom, have sought God's wisdom, and have been able to learn how to discern the direction of God. So you can do this, and I can do this. There's a a scene in Acts where they're trying to figure something out. They're looking for the discernment of God, and it ends, the story ends by them saying it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. That's the win. That's what you're going for, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Part of that is because they spent time listening. That time listening, you can learn to do this, but it means you need to have consistent time and you need to commit time over a period of time, over a season. In other words, you're doing this regularly and you're doing this over a period of time. It's just like anything else. If I go to the gym three times a year, not going to help. I'm not going to grow at all. If I go to the gym three times a week for three months... It's going, I will get stronger. It will make a difference. I will grow. And then finally, you don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to do this by yourself. You need to submit your processes, your needs, your temptations, your trials, your difficulties to your community, to the church. That's That's why we emphasize home groups. This is why relationships are such a big deal to us at Emmaus. And then there may be specific mentoring relationships. that you know, I, I said I see a guy every couple of months for 15 years I have, had, um, I have met with an older, wiser minister who is just better than I am at hearing God. That's just the reality. He's just better at it than me. He spent more time. And this is what I do. When I, when I, when I meet him, I say, this, I need wisdom in this tough situation. I, I need insight in this area of temptation. I need direction for this opportunity that's on the horizon. Would you help clarify the question that's really rumbling around in here? And would you help discern what God is saying to me um, so that we can leave, and sometimes it takes a couple of years, but at some time we can get to that point where we say, we're going that direction. Why? Because it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. We actually we actually get propelled forward with a level of confidence that only comes from from realizing and understanding God gave me wisdom, now I'm going to chase it. I'm going to go forward. All right, so in conclusion, uh, realize, friends, uh, the fact that you're going through a hard time, the fact that you're facing temptation, trial, that your faith is being challenged, um, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. This has been the battlefield on which real Christianity has been formed since the beginning. This is where it happens. Realize that. Realize that in this struggle, in order for you to overcome, you need wisdom. This is not a bonus for the super spiritual. You need this. You need spiritual wisdom from God. And realize that God wants to give you wisdom, He wants to give it to you generously. He will give it to you without finding fault. You have not been disqualified. Right? And now, do this. Ask God. Ask God. Just ask God. It boils down to an almost... Ridiculously simple message. Ask God. Let's pray together. What a blessing, Lord, that you see and you know. And you hear, you even feel, you've experienced humanity personally. You know exactly what we need. You know exactly what we're longing for. You know exactly why we're stuck. We don't have to explain it to you, but we're in the dark. We're confused. We need your wisdom. We need clarity. And so I pray for grace uh, to um, increase the frequency with which we come to you and ask for wisdom. And I pray that uh, you would give us courage and the confidence of your love for us, your willingness to give generously to us without finding fault. pray you to help us to come alongside others who are seeking discernment and i pray that we could be a people powerfully in relationship with you living out the confident um, direction and instruction that you have given us so that we may be full of peace and joy even in the face of the hard times and we ask this lord uh, in the name of jesus Confident in the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own. Amen. Amen. I hope that was helpful. Would you stand up with me? We'll take just a couple of minutes to greet one another. Uh, We want to continually form and nurture the community that's being established here. Uh, Every week there's folks who have never been here before. So if you feel new, you're probably not the newest. Invite someone to... uh, Share their name with you and introduce yourself to them. Friends, may the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Take a minute, greet one another this morning, and we'll come back for a time of worship. All right, my friends, want to invite you to come back to your